In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by music executive, music publisher, author, and political activist, uh, Capriccio Skates, man. This is a great episode, man. Capriccio and I actually got connected through I'm sure conferences that I've attended. We've just been in the same room quite a few times, man. And this brother's always been a cat that I respect uh, from his background in the industry. So this was something that I really enjoyed to chop it up with. You know, we talked about his work, you know, as a first starting out um, as a prom- promotional guy in the early part of his career, you know, to eventually working in the PRO space to then as a music publisher representing songwriters and, and, and producers, and then also his work in, in, in being in, um, in the political world and some of the awards that he's won. There's so many I can't even go through them all. So guys, just, this guy's a great guy, great episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. This is episode number 66 and the start of season three of the podcast. And I got a very special guest with me today, uh, Mr. Capriccio Skates. How you doing, man? I am excellent, sir. How are you? Thank you for having me. Hey, man, it's a pleasure, man. Um, you're somebody who I've been in several rooms with over the years, listen to you talk and share knowledge, but we've never really got a chance to sit down and really chop it up and you've done so much in the industry uh and outside the industry as well too um and so i thought it would be great to have you you know this podcast is really i cover three things usually you know i might talk about disability awareness because obviously i've got a disability i talk about music business topics to help independent artists and the third third one is to interview people that encourage and inspire me you know because I named my company Double M Management and Marketing Group because I love to encourage and inspire people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's why, uh, and, and I didn't want to name my company after me. I felt like that's boring. A lot of people do that. So I wanted to say, okay, when you say Double M, oh, you know, Durrell, oh, that makes sense. So it's a conversation starter. So, you know, that's kind of always been my, my, uh, my, my, my uh, MO right there. So. Got it. Cool. Cool. Cool, man. So. Yeah, so, um, you know, you're originally from Chicago. Absolutely, Chi-Town. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the artists that I manage, Xavier Keys, is from Chicago. Nice, nice, Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. So we've been, we've been working together for quite a few years now. So, yeah, so it's interesting because I'm a Cub fan. Like, how are you, how, like, you born in New York, raised in Orlando, and you're a Cub fan? I said it's easy because down here in Orlando in the late 90s, you had WGN if you wanted, to, and you saw the Cubs play. So it was absolutely. It was either the Cubs, the Sox, or the Braves because we had TBS. So Sammy Sosa played for the Cubs at the time. So I'm a Cub fan. <laughs> well, interestingly, I'm actually a, club, a Cubs and a White Sox fan, which is actually taboo. Yeah, it's supposed to be either or, but uh, right. I, I'm a fan of all Chicago teams. Uh, understood. 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 Love it. Awesome, man. Awesome. And I always love to ask my guests this topic, this question, man. What's your earliest memories of music? What do you remember as your earliest memories of of music? My earliest memory of music is when I was about five years old, uh, I I started playing drums in church. 
Now, okay. not to say that I was playing that well, but I was doing something. Okay. And I can remember in particular this one time where I got on the drum set and I could see my grandmother sitting to the left okay. of me and just smiling. And I remember feeling so happy that I could make my grandmother smile to see her excited about me playing drums. I mean, that's probably my very first memory of music and being involved in the music per se. Well, I love that. That's that's a great, that's a great, uh, and I, you know, I had that written down here too, uh, that you started definitely as a drummer. Yeah. Um, so, so you were drumming. So um, I know you got your start uh, as far as when you pivoted kind of like to the business side and promotions, you know, so you were, yeah. so you were, you know, uh, for Sony Music, you know, Death Row Records, Tommy Boy, Universal Music Group, Atlantic Records, you know, for artists like Alicia Keys, Boys to Men, Bone Thugs and Harmony, people like that. Absolutely. What, so what was it that made you wanted to shift to, to kind of the executive side, you know, from the creative side, maybe, or from the playing music side? I don't know if I wanted to shift. I don't think that I was probably that good of a musician. Gotcha. So I had to okay. find a way to stay in the business. So I understood. that's probably what actually happened is I don't know that I, I was as good as I would have liked to have been as a musician. So therefore, I found myself doing more business. That's cool. I like that. I like that, man. Like I said, you've you've had you've done so many great things. And and as you were going on the promotions, that ultimately led to a position you had as director of national radio promotions for Rough House in Columbia with artists, again, great names, Fuji, Cypress Hill, Chris Cross, people like that. So yeah. we're talking about big names here, you know, names that people know. So, I mean, um, and I had this question, you know, when you came in the game, radio was the way you got to the masses. You know, radio was the way you had, you had to talk. It's the only way you could touch the people really through radio. But my question is, is the industry's changed? And I like to use this podcast to teach, right? As well as tell stories, but we, we like to teach here. Right. So so how do you think radio, you think radio, you think terrestrial radio is still effective for, or how does it affect, you think, the independent artists versus the major artists? What, what would well, you say? Well, terrestrial radio is still a factor, believe it or not. In fact, there's still evidence and a correlation between terrestrial radio and streaming and sales and that whole thing. So there's definitely still relevancy as it relates to terrestrial radio. The problem for many is that it's just, it's expensive to actually Absolutely. compete at that level. So right. many people don't have that level and there's other ways to, to impact the market at this particular point. So yeah. it just is definitely still one of the major components though. For sure. No, you're exactly right. It just costs it just costs too much money for the independent artist who's trying to build a career. You know, uh, a lot of stuff that I teach is, you know, how to turn interested fans into supporters, right? And for, mm. for, for artists to yeah, that's all I teach when I when I'm when I'm coaching consulting clients, you know, we talk about how to take your interested fan, because that's what they are, the interested fans, and we gotta turn them into somebody else wants to pay. So that's Absolutely. that's ultimately that's the shift, right? So yeah. when they do, when they like you, and then when they start to pay is is when is when it becomes real, right? But the reason only reason why they pay is because of the relationship, you know. Because unfortunately, in today's in today's industry, the product that we're selling is free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, not not my words, but I read an article that referred to this generation as free tar. Not my words. Right. But one of the things that we've been having to do now is recondition 
the mindset of the consumer because they've been used right. to getting everything for free. Now we have right. to sort of change that mindset a little bit. Absolutely. And that's why, and I say the way we do that is by the relationship. Because when they feel like they have a relationship with you, they'll buy, you know? Yeah. And, and that's a process though. You know, that's a process. It's not as simple. I tell people all the time, you do, when somebody comes into your world, the, the last thing, the last thing you want to do is immediately try to sell to them. Because they're, they're, right. they're, they're just not going to be interested. That's not the way to do it. You have to establish value. Just like any other any other industry, you have to establish value uh, before people actually become interested in what you're doing. Yeah, and music now in particular is more about a brand than anything. The question becomes, can we call American Express, T-Mobile, Nike, and do this cool thing on Sunday while we listen to your music? So it's more about the brand value more so than it is even about the music. Unfortunately, Absolutely. music sells everything except music at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, record companies were never, didn't used to be in the business of building a brand. They sold music. That's what we did. That's what you did, Correct. you know? Correct. And so now, you you know, you have to be a brand. And I've always felt like record companies at this point, looking for artists, they want to, they're in the mergers and acquisitions business. No you know question. what I mean? You know what I mean? No like, question. so you got to get yourself from zero to 60. They don't no care. Question. They don't care before, you know, you're, you're, you're exact, you're, so you know, I mean, you could speak, cause I've never worked for in a major labor system, so I can't speak from personal, but I under, I just understand from my knowledge experience in the game that um, they just don't care they're, because the, the way they're looking at it is you have the same access to the same tools we have. So, you know what I mean? For the most so, part, yeah. Yeah. So you With gotta, the exception of the capital. Absolutely. Right. That's the only thing that but, makes but But today's business has become more about three screens, the TV screen, the computer screen, and the telephone screen, and how effectively right. you can engage those areas. Absolutely. So the music Absolutely. business now is, is right here. You Absolutely. Know, with it in, our, in our hands every time. Absolutely. I, I, I tend to say, I stop using the word recording artist. You're a content creator with a focus on music. That's nice. kind of, that's what I say, you know, because you, you think about it, you know, Whitney Houston, my kid, you know, artists that you mentioned in your bio, they didn't have to worry about content. Content wasn't the one that they had to worry about. You know what yeah. I mean? These days, you have that. You can't put a record out and not have content, a content strategy behind it. It's yeah, just, it's, it's, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> but, but, you know, I will say this it's the best time in history to be in music, though. Absolutely. I um, agree. At I've, no time in history could you literally go down to your basement and two o'clock in the morning, catch a vibe, put together a song. And then at three o'clock and two point five seconds hit sin and touch the entire world. Absolutely, I mean, there's no time in history that you could actually do that. So now this is really the best time in music right. if you understand content and yeah. how to leverage that content and to properly manage the content. Absolutely, you know, it's one thing to, to hit sin and touch the world, but it's another thing to not have it registered at ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, oh my God. Sound right. Exchange. You know that. So the 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 business part has to meet up with that same level of, of intensity. You know, Cap, it's I, a great time to be in music. I totally agree. You, you're speaking the same language I speak, and you're exactly right. You know, there's there's three things I like to say. There's the music industry, there's the music business, there's the business of music. Got to be navigated right. three different ways. And most right. people are still chasing the industry, the tastemakers, the DJs. Don't get me wrong. These are still influential people. Sure. But you don't necessarily need the music industry to be successful in the music business if you understand the business of music. 
Well, the one thing that I always like to ask people is, uh, you know, if I'm in a room with folks, I'll say, how many of you are familiar with Sarah McLachlan? And not that many people will say that they're familiar with her, but they probably have heard their song. But the point right. that I make is that whether you're familiar with her or not, she sold 33 million records around the world. So she didn't need you if you don't know her. What she needed to do was find her audience and then market to those specific people that was interested in her. And so Absolutely. that's really what you have to do now more so than anything is find your audience. Absolutely. That's why the premise of my brand, and I talk about this, if you go through my social media, core audience, core, and the framework that I created is called the genesis of super fan building. So I'm not a fan of just saying, put your music out and run ads. I just don't think that's the way you should teach or share with new artists today. I care about the foundational pieces, the foundational mm -hmm. building. That's how I set myself apart. The framework, the, the knowledge is the, the knowledge I'm sharing is 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 it's not my necessarily knowledge. It's just why I package it and I promote it and I teach it. Sure. But at the sure. end of, at the end of the day, like you said, it's about finding your audience and super serving them. I think that you know there's seven, there's eight billion people on the planet. You don't yeah. need everybody. You don't you yeah. know what I mean? You do, you don't need everybody. So I think this, like you said, this is the best time to do it your way. Right. And your age doesn't matter. I have a couple of clients right now that, <laughs> I work with that are in their that are in their 50s. And they want to. And I, so I told them this. I said, you better get comfortable with making content because they always yeah. say artists who, artists who tell me Cap, that they hate social media. It's like, what? It doesn't make sense to me because it's just like it's not changing. Like, so it's not going to go back to how it used to be. Yeah. Absolutely. So you, so you better become comfortable with creating content. And the beautiful thing about your social channels is you get to promote what you want to talk about. What well, matters. the other thing, too, is I think that it's important how you represent your brand as well. Because Absolutely. as you start to move into the future, or we start to move into the future, the way that your brand is positioned is going to matter a great deal to other bigger brands. Absolutely. So in order to leverage that, I think it's important that you know, how you represent yourself is, is you know, is, is number one, is paramount to what your success will look like in the future. I totally agree, man. I totally agree. Totally agree. So, um, yeah, so, and then the two, so going back to your story a little bit, so in 2006, you stepped in the PRO space and you yeah. became the director, writer, publisher of Relations for CSAC. You know, yeah. CTEC PRO, which is the which is the one PRO. You know, we have three PROs in America, but that's the one that you have to be invited to. You know, right to to, to be a part of. You know, and and you were part of um, Atlanta's first satellite office, and uh, responsible for recruiting songwriters and publishers, man. And let's say this, man: publishing is probably the most um, unless you deal with it every day, it can, it's, it, it's a case-by-case -case situation. Mm -hmm. and by no means am I accurate in publishing. You know, I know enough about it to have a conversation. Sure. Where I'm, I'm intelligent enough about it, but it can be very... Um, it, it's complicated. Probably the most complicated part of the business, if, if, I, if I should say so myself. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, unfortunately, the music business, no matter what you do, whether you're an attorney, a manager, a writer, artist, you play guitar doesn't matter. The music business is going to boil down to two things. And those two things are copyrights and masters. Yeah. Who owns the copyright? Who controls the master? Who controls the master? Who owns the copyright? Right. That's the entire music business. So right. unfortunately, right. the fundamental flaw I see with most artists is that they're, um, they want to be famous. And right. There's a little right. word show and a big word, word business. business. Most people are fundamentally, they're trapped in show. 
so absolutely. That's the issue that I find with most artists. And absolutely. Speaking on that, I tell artists all the time, you got to be comfortable with selling. Sell is part of the game. You got to be comfortable yeah. with selling. You know, when I when a when a potential client comes to me, Kev, I give them a free. They don't have to pay any money to talk to me for the very first right. time. I don't right. charge a dollar because I'm interviewing them. But I I guarantee myself. I guarantee them once you get off the call with me, we jump on a Zoom. It's like we're recording this podcast right now. I guarantee right. you, you're gonna want to work with me because I know right. and I and I know how to close you. So like first of all, if an artist is doing a show, I always tell them. Work that room. When you get yeah. after you get off that stage, work that room. Do not get off the stage and go grab a drink and sit in the corner somewhere. Work that room and shake hands and kiss babies. At the end of the Absolutely. day, this is a people business. Absolutely. This is a people business, you know? So, and you have to be okay with selling. I think artists have this thing in their mind where like, I don't like to sell. Well, guess what? We're all in sales. Every single human being is in sales. <laughs> We sell Absolutely. every day. We sell every day. Whether we like, whether yeah. we like to think we do or not, we're in sales. But you have to become comfortable with selling. Now, there's a time and place to ask for the money, but you have to become comfortable, like you said, the business part, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and things of that nature. Like you said, understanding uh, the business, and and I, I, I like to. I know the answer to this, but you know, when it comes to publishing, you know, there's two main types of of publishing deals that most people sign, right? A co-publishing deal, an admin deal, right? Yeah, yeah. So how would, so, so my question is, you know, how, first this, you know, because this is what you know how to do, why don't we break down the difference between both of those and then ask what's the real job of the publisher? Because I think people have, people might have some misconceptions of what the real job of the publisher is. So the first thing leading into that, I would say that corporate America has what's called a 401k plan. The music business has publishing. Right. So the equivalent to the 401k in corporate America in music's definition is really called publishing. Right. And it's really sort of where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, or for lack of better words. Um, all of the revenue that's being generated is all sort of evolving around those areas of copyrights and masters, which... In, encompasses publishing as well. And so when we talk about co-publishing, you're really talking about a partnership between the publisher and the writer, and that writer is being co-published by that, that publisher. And as part of those responsibility of the publisher, they're doing things like administrating the catalog, uh, making sure that the copyrights are being filed, making sure that the songs are being registered at ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. And for that, they're participating and they're taking a part of the copyright ownership as part of being the co-publisher. And right. so that's typically that's a 50, they're taking 50% of the publishing for that work that they're providing. Right. But then outside of that, you can do a sit or have a situation that's just admin only, administration only, meaning that the publisher is just only factored in as an administrator, but they don't actually have ownership of the copyright. Right. And in that case, Usually with admin deals, because that's what most songwriters want, right? They want to add, right? Because well, typically when I when I run into writers, they're trying to either get a deal, the ones that don't have a deal, and the ones that have a deal are trying to get out of the deal. So, Got you. Um, I think most of the writers are looking or think they want a co-publishing deal, but they may not particularly understand all the ins and outs of how that deal actually works. Absolutely, right? And so now, and I'm saying, see, we used to have something called the MDRC. 
right? Yeah. The delivery requirement code, which what I'm hearing is that they're trying to do away with those now. Um, because you know, yeah, that I used mean, to get people caught up, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there there are being a number of things that are being introduced, some ways to actually sort of craft these deals and make it, you know, make the deals make more sense in this new media world that we're in. Right. Because I think new media is really now media because it's happening right now. But I think the term new media was something in the distant future. So we're talking about ringtone, ringback, MySpace, all the ancillary areas that were considered new media. But now, you know, we're moving into NFTs and the metaverse and all these other different facets. I mean, who knows what's what's really going on? So I think a lot of the publishers, the industry is trying to sort of adapt and move at the pace of what's happening throughout the world, because the world's growing and changing, and so should the music industry. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and, and I think that publishing, it, like you said, it, it's the retirement. We see a lot of major acts who have catalogs that are making money, are essentially selling their catalog to these big hedge funds and people who have tons yeah. of money. You know, because yeah. some of them don't really want to tour anymore. They don't, or they may, they don't really want to do. What they used to have to do. So essentially, like you said before, they're kind of cashing on their retirement a little bit early. You know, some of them are not selling their full catalog. So they might be selling portions of their catalog, but they're still getting right. a nice chunk of change at the end of the day. But keep in mind, you have to have a catalog that's already generating the type of money. You know what I mean? In right. my opinion. Right. You know, for Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. There has to be viability there in order to make those deals make sense. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like hitting the lottery. If you hit the lottery, you can take the cash option. Or you can take it amateurized over a period of time. And so, yeah. you know, as what, what we're doing in essence, when we do some of these deals, we're taking a cash option. And sometimes right. I hate to see people cash out early because in essence, they're leveraging themselves out of the business because right. a lot of things that are happening, that value is going to even increase over the next five to 10 years. So Absolutely. I, I would caution to be careful with some of those deals early. Yeah. Yeah. Because, it, yeah, exactly. Because, one thing with a song, with the copyright man, it, it's one of those things where it doesn't, it doesn't get, it doesn't go down. The copyright stays where it is, and it can only increase. It can't really decrease, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, it it, it, it can, can to a degree, degree. Um, yeah. depending upon the the valuation and what's actually happening with that particular song. But right. if it's being exploited, a good word, and when we right. talk about music publishing, if it's right. being properly exploited and worked. Right, um, the value is certainly going to increase, or that, at least it should increase. And that's what I want to talk about as far as the publishing, because some people say that okay, my publisher isn't working my songs or working my catalog, right? Yeah. Is yeah. it the publisher's job in a co-pub situation to work the catalog? To work the catalog. Well, you know? let's just say it's certainly in their best interest. Now, whether if it, it works out to be their job per se. Um, maybe up for discussion, but I, I personally think, yes, that's part of what they should be doing. They should be exploiting the catalog and making sure that those opportunities are being sought out as it relates to synchronization opportunities, um, you know, placement opportunities and whatever else they may be able to find. But, you know, I think it's just each deal, these things are case by case. And so you never get what you're worth, only what you negotiate. And Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. really, you know, it's depending on who you're dealing with and, and what's happening in that particular agreement. I totally agree, man. I totally agree. For sure, for sure. Now, um, cool things here. You're the author of a couple of books, The Ten Steps to Successfully Managing Recording Artists, and then The the Eleven Step that I Missed also. Right. So two, first one you did was 2004, 
Yeah. The next one you did was 2018. And what I yeah. found out that's interesting is that's essentially two different industries because 04 is like, it's 04, we were still kind of, we weren't all the way digital yet, you know? Right. Right. And 2018, I mean, obviously we're digital. So how would you, how do you, how do you feel like um, the role of an artist manager? Because I'm a manager myself and the way I'm a personal manager and the way I like to say it, it's like family. That's how I, that's how I look at it. Right. You know, I don't look at the artists I work with as my clients because to me, if we're in the trenches together, it's like, no, we got to believe in each other. You know what I mean? I agree. Absolutely. So, you know, and I haven't had a chance to read your books and I'm going to read them, but for, for just for the sake of this conversation, you know, how, how do you feel like um, it's changed the role of an artist manager from the first book you wrote in 04 to the second one you wrote, or does it correlate? I, I think there's a, a very strong correlation. And what really happened for me, my understanding changed in the sense of the value of people and understanding what's inside of the music beyond just music. Because in that music, there's families, there's wives, there's husbands, there's dogs, there's cats. There's much more to it than just music. And so for the 11th step I missed, um, it was important that I talked about the order of God, family, and work. Prior to that, learning that 11th step, I put it in this pot and I stir it all up and I say, don't be looking at my pot. I got this. <laughs> well, I didn't know that inside of that pot, there was order. There's, you know, God, whatever you subscribe to, whatever your beliefs are, the universe, whatever that may be, mm -hmm. uh, family, and then work and prioritizing them accordingly. When I was at CSAC, for example, mm -hmm. I signed a writer who got married had a baby and got divorced in the same year. She oh my gosh. She's crying. And I was like, I didn't even know what to say. Right. Another young lady came to my office and said, my mom's dying. Can you come to my house and explain to her how music publishing works? And I'm like, okay. So I show up, her mom's laying in bed. You know, she's for, for, for all, for what we know, she's actually dying. Right. And we're going through this process of me explaining to her how her daughters wrote these great songs and how we're going to collect this money and it's, you know, she's going to be okay. And literally two weeks after that, her mom died. Oh, wow. And so these things started to happen while I was at CSAC, which really gave me a different understanding of the music and what goes into it than just only music. Right, you know, when I first right. got in the industry, I had three goals. One was to afford to take my kids to Disneyland. Yeah. One was to get a record company tour jacket because I saw my friend with one and I thought it was cool. Right. And the other okay. was to call a label and whoever would answer on the other end would know my name. And I felt like, man, if I could accomplish those three things, I'd be successful. Right. Well, in 2008, I went to speak at the GMWA, uh, Gospel Music Workshop of America. Okay. And I go down and I get ready to do my get there. Before I leave, I call my son. I say, yo, yo, let's go to Disneyland. And he said, dad, I'm 20. I don't want to go. Somewhere in my mind, I didn't realize that all that time went by. He was still five years older than me, and I was on this this thing going, okay, I got to win a Grammy, I got to win a Dove Award, I got to win a Stellar, I got to... Right. And 20 years went by before wow. I could afford to take my kid. Now, you know, before it, where it didn't matter, like, let's go, it's 20 stacks, it's 30 stacks, let's go, I got you. Man, 20 years went by. So I go, I do my presentation, I get back to my hotel room, and I cry like a baby because I made it but I made it by myself and that was never my intention. And so mm. that's part of the 11th step that I did not mm. know. Um, because look, everybody's focused on getting it. I'm going to get a Grammy. I'm going to win an American Music Award. I'm going to win a Dove. You get a wife, a, a mansion, a Bentley. 
you don't maintain it, you get divorced, foreclosed, and repo. And so that's the 11th step that even though it's still, you know, it's still talking about management, the biggest part is understanding what goes into the actual ownership of all that stuff and making sure that everybody's properly managed. Man, that bro, that is so wow, you hit so many things that just resonate with me right there because that's what I believe in, man. How we treat our how we treat the artists we work with in, in a management role. It's different from a yeah. consultant role. Because yeah. you do both, right? So but when you're managing, there's so we have to think about the mentality, the psychology of that. You know, how do we understand how they how they matter, how the are how they think, right? It's so much more than just get your head out of your tail, let's go, because everybody doesn't respond well to that. Sure, and, that, and that's part of what I think what makes me good at what I do is I love people and I'm able to um, really understand and, and, and talk to people and, and get people to trust me. So when it comes to uh, like, you know, Xavier Keys is the one who I've been working with the longest as of late, you know, his personalities, <laughs> it's just a little different. Right. So mm -hmm. so my so our personalities mesh. You know, because he might not like me saying this on on the podcast, but he doesn't really do well with um with when it comes to uh you know I don't always with anxiety, but when it comes to you know having to deal with tough situations sometimes, and oh. and you need and, and so he kind of leans on me for to be able to be there and talk him through things and things like yeah. that. Yeah, and, and I think that I think that's so important for. A personal manager, you know, versus because like I said, there's different types of management. You know, if a personal manager, you might be signed to a management company like a Rock Nation, but you might have, you know, your personal manager that kind of handles everything else. Yeah, the day to day, -to -day, -to -day guy. Right. So I, so I, I'm more of a day to day guy, you know, and I, and I'm just very selective because it just matters. It matters to me. People think naturally because I have a a management company that I'm looking to manage a million artists. And I used to be that guy that wanted to do that when I first started. Sure. And then sure. I real, you know what I realized? I realized it was about me building a brand. That's, Absolutely. What I, that's what I realized. So that my path to success isn't predicated on my artists having success because what happens when they want to quit and go do something else? Oh my God. That's, that was <laughs> one of the biggest lessons I learned in management. You know, I was running around with the artists sort of in front like this. And then every time they didn't like the artists, we all kept getting kicked out. And so I had to switch it. Mm -hmm. And I started walking around like this. So they don't like the artists. Cool. I'm still in there. They don't like and the artists. Cool. I'm still. Exactly. So that, that was a huge lesson I learned. You know, oh, yeah, it, it's important. Is, you know, my, my mentor, Alan Johnston, I'm sure you know him. Oh, um, yeah, of course. Yeah, he told me one time, he was in a conference, he said, Darrell, whatever you do, brand yourself. He told yeah. he said, brand yourself, because artists come and they go, but you will always be okay. So when I would go to conferences like me, them, right, even yeah. though, yeah. Yeah. even though my artists that I work with were there, they would sit in their own meetings. I would yeah. sit in my meetings, yeah. so that I would have the contacts for me. Now we still help. We still, you know, we still facilitate what we normally do. But I'm making sure I'm leaving there with contacts that help me, right? 
Well, you got to always keep in mind, artists have a tendency to feel like they're being done wrong. So that's just the nature of artists. So right. Michael Jackson said Sony was the devil. So, you know, it just that's just the nature of artists. Right, 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 right. Right, right, right. Hold on. Cool. Yeah. So I totally agree, man. That You're right. That's the nature of artists. You know, uh, they're not always being done wrong. You know, uh, I think there was a time in the industry where, you know, you had to prove yourself. Like you, you, you know, when you, if you have no leverage, there's no way to, <laughs> there's no way the, the lawyer, like, let's be real. Let's talk about black music for a second. When these are black music departments, right? So there was a time where people, most people who come from in the city, they don't got no money. You know what I mean? So yeah. they can't yeah. afford an attorney. So what happens? They, oh, use our attorney. <laughs> you know, not understanding that that attorney, using their attorney isn't going to help you because essentially that attorney is negotiating against themselves. Who can write the bigger Conflict. check? Yeah. Right. Who can write yeah. the bigger check? Of course, the label is going to write the bigger check. So they're going to want to get the bigger percentage. So, the, you know, so, but that's just, that's just how it was. So you had TLC, Escape. they all said back then they signed not so favorable deals, you know. Yeah. When you first yeah. get in, when you first get in the game. And then know? I think also artists are romanticized by their own talent, so that that factors in as well. Abs absolutely. Talk about that for a second. Talk, <laughs> talk talk about what that means, man. <laughs> um, just just you know, artists and and it's rightfully so. They should feel that they are the best thing since sliced bread of peanut butter and jelly or whatever the case may be, but. I think they often get caught up in the fact that just how good they are, thinking that translates um, to, to money, per se, or translates to how people should treat them. But it doesn't always work that way. So, Absolutely. And I tell people today, when you're getting in the music industry, music, it's a slow burn. It's a slow yeah. slow. It's a slow burn because he, Kev, you come, you remember a time where they gave out development deals. They gave you $500,000 to develop you. Yeah. You know, and they're not doing that these days. So the new development deal is called get a job. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just it's just a different time. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. um, the labels don't really have the the manpower to even yeah. develop an artist like they once did. So it's just a yeah. different time period. But right. again, it's the best time to be in music if you understand the value of content and how. Abs abs absolutely, absolutely, man. Content is content is an every content is an every. And here's what I will say. You know, I would like to say there's two types of artists in the marketplace. There's trendy artists who are on trend, and then there's talented artists. So usually the trendy artists, we'll call those the TikTokers, we'll call those the people that kind of, you know, they, they, they catch a wave, they're on the trend, right? But so they're getting quick success. And let's say you're not so trendy, you have more of a message, a grassroots type of thing. It's going to take you longer. It just is. And yeah, because the, the, the music fan is different than the pop popular culture fan. Right, they're, right. They're different. they're different people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what I always try to tell people is like, embrace the journey and be okay with the process. Like, yeah. you, you have to be. Otherwise, it's going to drive you crazy because, see, in our industry, and this is probably the case in, most industry, in a lot of industries, is that there's no one path, straight path to success. Everybody's path to success is different. I'm yeah, sure man, I wish I could tell people, run fast, run slow, turn around three times and bark, and that's how you do it. And if I could do that, I would take that and put it in a box and I'd sell it to you, but it just doesn't yeah, quite work Yeah, it just like doesn't it. work like that. And kept sometimes yeah. when it comes to music, comes to the, a song, sometimes songs don't catch right away for whatever reason. 
it's, it's hard to know sometimes why it does it. There's been songs that are like it didn't pop at first, and then it took it took something else happening along the way for it to catch wave, catch a wave, and then it came, came a big record. But it wasn't. It doesn't always. We can't predict what's gonna happen. Yeah, I think for me, Bone Thugs, you mentioned, which is an act that I worked with when yeah. I was at Ruthless. And yeah. when I first heard them, I didn't think it was going to work because I couldn't sing the songs. I didn't know what the heck they were saying. <laughs> it was like, bet, 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 but it could have I'm like, man, that, nobody's going to, that's not going to work. I can't, I can't sing that. Right. Little did I know, I mean, those cats sold a lot of records. So yeah. Easy, easy saw it. Absolutely. Shout out to Lee, shout out to Easy E, shout out to, yeah. to Bone Thugs, Steve Lobel, all these guys that all of y'all that have played a role in their careers. And those guys are still around. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, they you know, you're still around there. So every and that's the beautiful thing about the game is that people have found different ways to hang around. Because I think this sometimes to be in this to be in an industry for 30 plus years, yeah, you gotta do some you gotta know you gotta be able to do something right, you know. One of the guys I have a lot of respect for is Troy Taylor, right? And, oh, no question. And Troy's a good. And what I love is what he always likes to do. He keeps young people around him, and he that's does. why. And that's why he's Troy be cracking the whip too, though. Troy oh yeah, he, oh yeah, yeah. He cracks the whip, you know. Because yeah, I, I mean, he's definitely one of my favorite people in the industry for sure. He's a personal sure. friend. Too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because he goes to. I've met him a few times, but when I usually when I see him now is at a conference called New School Rules in the Netherlands. Um, yeah. I don't know if you heard of New yeah. School Rules. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm I'm a partner with them, so I actually bring talent from nice. Amer America, and we go to Netherlands with Hank and Maduro and her husband Greg. They run that conference. Nice. So well, I got an amazing writer. I, I need to connect you with for that opportunity. For sure, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah. So, man, let's talk about some of the organizations that you were a part of. Um, so you were a part of. I'm sorry, a former member of the Atlanta chapter board. For NARIP, National Association of Recording Industry Professionals, and it's the the uh, president said, and I believe this to be true, just from my time as a consummate professional with years of experience in the industry as a record executive, a personal artist manager, he's a connector, a valued colleague, and and you epitomize qualities of today's most successful professionals with desire to learn and grow and help others achieve their goals. I mean, and that resonated with me because that's what I try to be. That's what I you know yeah. try to be. You know. Um, the book isn't out yet, Cap, but I I'm, I wrote a small ebook that will be out nice at the show, at the start of this um so when this podcast new season releases and what I wanted to talk about was what's the book called What's the book called Encourage and Inspire and uh, more than a hobby and why I chose to how I chose to carve out my professional path in the music industry nice and the nice. reason the reason it's a short book it's forty plus pages. And the reason why I did it was because um, I could, because of my disability, I can't live in LA. I can't live in the industry cities. I've had to do it from Orlando. And I've, you know, so, and then a lot of times people like me with disabilities, there's not that many opportunities for us to, sure. be, inside, to be inside the industry. So I've had to kind of make my own way. And, and, yeah. so, and so for me, um, I love people and I've just been fortunate enough to use my ability to my knowledge and I just want to be an inspiration to people and I want people to say man look what he's been able to do and been able to kind of carve out my own path and it hasn't been easy you know what could I, I had to figure out where do I make the biggest impact and that is helping new artists the problem with new artists is 
they don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, when I say, hey, this is my retainer cost, which, which I think is fair, you know, uh, to somebody who doesn't have any money, they, they want to work with me, but it, it financially doesn't make sense. It, it, they can't do it. You know, yeah, so, fair is relative. Fair is relative. Exactly. So, you know, I was having a conversation with Teddy Riley once and he said, Man, I'm broke, right? And I said, Well, <laughs> let me take your bank account for one day. You take my bank account for one day and, and let's see who's broke. Exactly. Good point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because his version of broke, you know, is, is two different, different things. It's a different version of broke, you know, and, you know, so yeah, but I tried to, you know, try to just to, to stick to what I love to do. And what I like I talked earlier about, you know, kind of rebranding myself. And I branded myself as a guy with education. Because education to me is your number one missing link for independent artists. Because we're in an industry where we're not regulated per se, as you have to be licensed to do this, 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 and that, like you do in other industries. You can't work in the financial industry a lot of times if you don't have a license or you can't become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. You have to have, sure. have to have law licenses to pray to practice these things. In the music sure. industry, in the entertainment industry, it don't work like that. So Yeah, I always tell people it's the one industry you could wake up tomorrow, print out some business cards and decide that you're in the business and who's gonna tell you you're not. So a exactly. So, you know, so therefore we have a lot of artists who don't necessarily want to learn. They want to they want to create because that's what they love to do. But they have to understand you have to actually learn how to build your business up. Because yeah. the days are gone of a record company isn't coming to save you. Right. You know, you know, and if a guy like UCAP is coming, you're coming, but you're also coming at a cost. Yeah, you know, no, you know? no question. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And your resume warrants you the ability to, to charge what you charge. <laughs> well, I, I typically can find out or determine all I need to know about an artist by asking, asking them one simple question when I meet with them. And I'll simply say, what's your website? And if you say something other than www.yourname, yeah. if you say, you know, SoundCloud, MySpace yeah. my ain't your space. Reverb Nation ain't your nation. Like you right. have your own place <laughs> where you can I, drive I, traffic and create the aggregate. So absolutely aggregation rather. So absolutely, absolutely. So I totally agree. I totally agree, man. Um, you also, which is why I found that this is cool. You are the, a former member of the Georgia Music Industry Task Force, which served yes. the the former governor Sonny Perdue on the economic impact of music, film, and entertainment. Which is so, man. That is so powerful too, because entertainment matters, man. Uh, because artists and creators, we're the cultural reporters. They talk yes. about what goes on in the community, and they tell stories that other of people that can't tell their own story. And I well, always... not only that, when you start talking about in Georgia in particular, you know, all the films and all the uh, arts that's being created here, you know, it brings a lot of it drives a lot of commerce. It brings a lot of uh, traffic. You know, there's plane tickets being booked. There's you know, people are buying flowers. People are using Lyft, Uber. You know, that sort of hotel rooms are getting rented. Mm -hmm. It brings a lot of money to the, uh, you know, the community. So that's part of, you know, just the impact that music and film and entertainment has overall. Absolutely. And I mean, and, and what do you think the importance of like trade associations like NARIP and things like that, as far as networking goes? Versus, oh, these my days, God. It's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 
uh, paramount. I mean, it's, you yeah. know, super important to your career. I mean, it's all really boiling down. I mean, we talk about the law of six degrees of separation, the fact that there's no one person more than six people away from you. And I think that's really down to two degrees now with the internet. I mean, you yeah. can literally touch and reach out to anyone. Um, right. You know, so networking is really a very, very vital aspect of success. I mean, just, you absolutely. know, who you know, most importantly, who knows you. So that's absolutely, absolutely. I look at it the first time I connected with you, and I want to say it, it might have been at Terry Bellows conference. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my big brother. Yeah, <laughs> Terry, it's a great dude. I love Terry. Got to get him on. He's the in, he's in Nashville now, right? Yeah, yeah, he's in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, in fact, we saw each other for the uh, because he is actually interviewing for a job here. He didn't end up getting it. University of Central Florida. He was interviewing for a job here in Orlando. And that's the first time we had seen each other in about ten years. I said, He's like, I'm coming oh, to wow. town. I'm coming in town. I said, okay, man, we're going. We're going to get together because it had been it had been ten years, ten plus years. Wow, I'd seen it. You know. Wow. So so it's just good to see him. And I mean, talk. He knows everybody. <laughs> I mean, there's not many people he doesn't know. You know what I mean? So he's one of the. He's one of. The, but that might have been one of the first places I probably. Connected, saw saw you, and then probably somewhere with Kevin Shine and Roddy Sessions America in the early days. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> we definitely been in a lot of rooms together. For sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, now the ultimate room, your your podcast. Right, your exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the awards you won, man. So you are uh, you received the Phoenix Award, which essentially is like the key to the city. Yeah, they stopped giving the key to the city away when I get an opportunity. No, <laughs> right, so, right. I, so I got a, a cool plaque. It's a Phoenix Award, which is given by the mayor, Kasim Reed, at that particular time. But it's they, yeah. they did that in lieu of the key to the city. Man, that's awesome, man. I mean, to have your own day, that's, that just sets you know, kept the impact you have had in Atlanta. You know what yeah. I mean? And, 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 because not everybody gets their own day like that, but but you, yeah, man, you, you know, and, and a lot of this stuff that's been happening, man, I, I can't even tell you how I've just been really blessed and fortunate. And, uh, you know, I just try to do the right thing by what God's given me to be to steward. Like, I just keep trying to no, make sure I, I, I do the I, right I, thing. I, I totally understand, man, because when you find good people in the industry, because unfortunately, there's a lot of bad people in this business. A lot of people who don't care, who don't have integrity. So when you find the ones that do, you know, because it's hard. Because that's why people don't like to sometimes pay people for certain. Things. They've got burned so many times. They they don't like to yeah. trust people. And yeah. unfortunately, I was having a conversation with this with a young gentleman the other day. That well, how do you how do you navigate not you know being able to trust people? You just have to take a chance sometimes. You know, because sure. there, there's no we don't have a better business bureau. You know where we where you know somebody's rating before you do business with them. That's the kind of work like that. So, yeah. you know, if, you, if you've been in this game long enough, we have all gotten burned somewhere along the way. It just, Unfortunately, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's been the nature. When you say it's, when you hear that term, it's just business, that probably means somebody got screwed over. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, man. Exactly. And you've also, uh, 2016, you received the doctor, you received the doctor of philosophy and was awarded the ambassador, and let me say this right, the ambassadorial appointment and special consultative status with social council with the United, I'm sorry, with the United Nations of Economic and Social Council, which is the highest level of accreditation that you can get. So that's major. You know, that is 
That's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> Man, you know, again, these things, you know, I keep wondering, like, okay, God, what are you doing? Like, all right, I'm, you want me to do that? I, that's where I'm going. So I think um, the one thing that we don't always realize about music is it has an ability to, you know, transport you into certain places and areas that maybe you had not even considered. And so the, the UN is definitely one of those things. When I first got the appointment, um, I showed up in Vienna to get my credentials and I was waiting for Aston Kusher to come out and say, you being punk, this is not real. Yeah. I, I, I was like, okay, so I show up, I get my badge, I get my picture taken and I and come back to Atlanta and I'm like, okay, so I'm a UN ambassador. <laughs> so it wasn't until the next year I went back for what they call diplomacy training. And at that point, then I learned, you know, what my responsibilities were, you know, what I should be doing, how I could better serve the community and all those things. But um, it's just been an a interesting ride, to say the least. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And like you said, you were, um, this is another interesting fact about you, you were knighted. Yes, knighted as the for the in, into the Royal Order of Knights, and God, I'm reading this, so I want to make sure I get it right. So if it sounds like I'm reading, it's because I want to get it right out of respect for the guest, my guest today. So the Royal Order of Knights of Malta of Africa, yes, and the diaspora with all the rights, lights, honors, privileges, and prerogatives which belong to that order in 2018. So again, another pretty cool. But, but let me let me say this now. Going back to our point that we talked about inside of that music and all those things that are in that music, you know, I could go by. I could be called Doctor Capricio Scats. I could be called Professor Capricio Scats. I could be called Sir Capricio Scats. On and on and on and on. But of all those titles, to me, the only title that really matters is Dad. And so I had to really learn that, and that's bigger and more valuable than all those titles. I exactly. You're right. Exactly. I hear you. Definitely make, I feel you on that one. For sure. I'm not a father, but I understand where you're coming from. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. Is it, Definitely. Is this the only thing that matters? I mean, a absolutely. that's your legacy. The only way you live forever is by touching the future. And so absolutely. ultimately that's where the importance is at. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, uh, and the last thing here, is you know you were selected as Black Enterprise Modern Man in October of 2019, and as a consultant for the Congressional Black Caucus, and you're the only, and you're the second person in history to receive the Congressional Black Caucus lapel pin. That is like wow! I know yeah, that, that was is, incredible. That I, that day <laughs> was incredible because that was all part of a trip that I took to D.C. and uh, I got the Congressional pin. And then I later discovered that I was the second person. Um, um, it was received before me, I think, at noon. And then mine, I got it around 3 o'clock. So I was the second person in history to get it. Oh, wow. That is ultimately amazing things, man. That's great. That is awesome. So, man, I just want to end the episode kind of talking about something you said, which I love, like your personal slogan. You said your floor is someone else's ceiling. Always be appreciative for, of, for where you are. But never stop trying to reach the the reach for the best floor. How do you feel the that next that, floor? The, I'm sorry, the next floor. That was, that's um Apple's I live by that. The, so don't you gotta that I, I, yeah. I almost have that conversation in my head every single day. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So like how yeah, that, that's my next question. Like, how does that how does that help you kind of achieve the different level of successes in in, in your career 
both personally and professionally? Because I'm ultimately, I'm trying to just be the best me I can be. And I don't even know what that is per se. I'm just, you know, allowing God to use me and do as much as I can while I'm here, you know, because we don't, you know, we don't know tomorrow's not promised. So we don't exactly. know how much time we have. So exactly. with the time that I'm given, I'm trying to execute at the highest level possible. You know, people confuse effort with results and I don't like some people are very effort oriented, but they don't man manifest or produce any results. So I'm trying to not only be effort based, but I also want to produce results. Um, right. Real quick, I want to share this with you. Okay. Uh, people talk about passion and commitment or passion okay. in our industry all the time. Because I'm so passionate. I'm passionate. And I had a student once that said to me, I'm passionate, so I'm committed. And I said, no, there's a difference between passion and commitment. He said, no, if I'm passionate, I'm committed. I was like, no, there's a difference. So we went back and forth for probably 30 minutes of class, and I couldn't get across to this kid how there's a difference between passion and commitment. And so I got home that night, and I was a little perplexed sitting on my couch thinking like, man, how do I explain to this kid there's a difference yeah. between passion and commitment? Okay. And this thought came to me. And the thought was, if passion were a substitute for commitment, there would not be so many fatherless children. Absolutely. One night of passion versus a lifetime <laughs> of commitment. That so is I right. was like, whoa. So I can't wait is. to get back to school the next day. And I said, if passion were a substitute for commitment, there would not be so many fatherless children. He looked at me and I looked at him and I dropped the mic. I was like, Damn, now now tell me there's not a difference between passion and commitment. You can you can be committed for one night. That's but, absolutely you know absolutely. you can be passionate rather for one night. But the Absol commitment comes in when you gotta raise that child. That's a difference no, and, passion and commitment. That that is true. That's something within our community, specifically with black within our black community, that we're just not really talking about and bring it to the forefront. That we have to be responsible when we make those decisions. You know, yeah. and responsible, like you said, because one night of passion and, you know, and young ladies have to be responsible, too, because look at a person's character. Look at a man's character. Look, look at the other things that because those are the things that's going to determine how type of father that brand's going to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and things like that. And you got to be smart. You got to look at you got to look at the history. If they if the man's already got three, four kids already before you and he's not taking care of them. <laughs> chances are chances are you know what makes you think you're going to be the one you know you know so you just have to be just what it is so yeah. so yeah man but like i said cap it's, it's it's been such a pleasure man Where, how can people find you before we get out of here uh man, how, i'm at capricio on all social media platforms c-a-p-p-r-i-c-c-i-e-o now baby tell me what you want to do with me again. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm Capricio on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and and I'm very re I respond to everyone as much as I can at least. So no, you definitely. Uh, I think can. I'm one of the most accessible executives there are. No man, there it's, I said it's been it's been a pleasure, and I've been, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So I've got a lot more respect for your work, and what you've done, and um, as somebody who is trying to make my own way in my own my own way to to do the things I love to do, and I've been fortunate. You know, to, to to be a part of some pretty cool things. You know, been to seven different countries. You know, been featured yeah. in about eleven or twelve magazines and things like nice. that. Sharing my story, and I, I I say that a lot, not to brag, but I just say that for because if I could share my story, and let people know there's there's still a way to do the things you love to do, and it's gonna be tough. I have a lot of tough days, but it's because I believe in what I do, and I know I'm making a difference, and that's yeah. why I continue to do what I do. So. 
it's people like yourself and, and that that keep me encouraged to keep doing what I do. And I just, like I said, I just want you to know that. And it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. My to, pleasure. To, Thank you for having to, me. To have you on today, man. So guys, with that being said, this has been episode number 66. And this is your host, Terrell Peart. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace. <laughs>